Welcome to the Doc G Show, a radio show cluster. Without further ado, critics have said he has the face for radio and a voice for silent films. Your host, Ben Doc G Gordon. And we are on the air. Welcome to the Doc G Show. I am your host. Doc G with me, as always, the one, the only, Dave Burles, Berlin. Doc, we are back, man. Woo! I know last week it was it was iffy. You know, we we may have been blown oh. away, but we're here. Th- this week, I may uh, and, and 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 prayers go out to the Bahamas. Horrible, horrible devastation. Not yeah. not a way to start there, but uh, I will give the listeners a notice. Um, Justin not gonna be here for the next two weeks. Sad. His, his he's he's. I, I won't even. I won't even give a. I won't even give a fake reason. He's partying with his parents. Woo-hoo. That's the real reason. It's a, it's a party yep. with his parents. So it's <laughs> it's got to happen. Uh. Anyways, I got I got important things I need to talk about this week, Dave. Word. Um. I want to talk about something that's come to my attention. Okay. And what's come to my attention is. Leonardo DiCaprio. Sweet. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he's impressive, right? He's he is. He's a he's a specimen. I mean, Oscar winner, humanitarian, climate activist, plays the softest, most heartfelt roles, but then also the most edgy hard roles. He does it all. Yes. He does it all. But that's not really what I want to talk about. I want to talk about okay. something else about him. I want to talk about who he's dated. Wait, what? Let's Oh, I bet this list is uh is glorious. I I got to be honest, man. Leo is what every man dreams he could be in this category. Like <laughs> he is what every every man like everybody always points to Brad Pitt, right? Or they, at least they have for like the last like 20 years. They've been like, eh, mm-hmm. who's that guy? Brad Pitt, right? Leo is what Brad Pitt wishes he would have been. So true. <laughs> like sure everybody looks at Brad and they're like, "Oh, he had a sweet relationship with Jennifer Aniston and he had 46 kids with Angelina Jolie and what? oh, they, they were both so nice, right?" But no. 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 There are only a handful of dudes that have this opportunity that actually a consensus of ladies think they're attractive, right? That a large amount, because normally it's rare, right? Uh, Ladies don't seem to agree too often on who they find attractive. There's these unique traits with women and what they find attractive. And so you got this handful of guys like Brad Pitt, Channing Tatum, Matthew McConaughey, Mm -hmm. George Clooney, Mm -hmm. Ryan Reynolds, Mm -hmm. Bradley Cooper, Mm -hmm. Chris Hensworth. Yep. That's who I came up with. That was yep. that was my list. That's a that's a list of sexy sexy men. Right? Good looking men. Now now most guys I think uh, think like man if I was one of those dudes, I would have so many so many pretty girlfriends. You don't even know. I'd be dating Game left, over. left and right. That's right. Left and right. But you look at that group I just mentioned. All of them. Mm-hmm. All of them married. Brad Pitt married, Channing Tatum married, Mac Attack married, George Clooney married, Ryan Reynolds married, Bradley Cooper married, Chris Hemsworth married, all of Girl, them. Come on. Leonardo DiCaprio, single, single. Whoa. And listeners, mm. I know what you're saying right now. You're like, Ben, those guys are in fulfilling relationships. 
Shame on you. They yeah, have, they found the one. They have found their true kindred, kindred spirit. Cool. That may be true. And maybe you're right. Maybe Leo hasn't found his true love. And maybe he's he's looking for it. But I'll tell you what he has found. A lot of models. And you have to respect it. <laughs> on, so the, on the sheer attractiveness of this girl. I didn't even know there were this many good-looking models in the world that he has dated. Nope. Listen, are you ready for this? Leo has dated... Where did you, you find his list, I, first off? Uh, well, several. I, I went through several different uh, magazines. Elle was one of the magazines I went through. Uh, Vogue uh, had a story on it, I do believe, if I remember correctly. People discussed it some. Uh, so I've I, I, I vetted through several different references. That's a fact. Um, okay, okay. Leo has dated at least 18 models. At least... At least Goodness, 12 of those are Victoria's Secret models. 12. Tw he has dated a Victoria's Secret model that is currently 20. He just actually ended the relationship with her. She was 19 when they were going out. And a Victoria's Secret uh, model that is currently weird. 50. Wow. His former oh, Vic 50. Yeah, his Victoria's Secret wow. girlfriend spanned three full decades. Three full... They've got to have their own alumni center at the Victoria's Secret headquarters. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, hey, you guys going over getting some coffee later? Yeah. Right. Nice. Cool. Or like, Leo, even, even his girlfriends that aren't models are so far out of everyone else's league, it's not even funny. Yes! Leo, two of his former girlfriends that aren't models are Rihanna and Blake Lively. Rihanna really? and Blake Lively. Both of them. Yes. What the? Yes. Leo went out with Giselle. That blows my mind. Leo went out with Giselle before she married Tom Brady, and he went out with Blake Lively before she married Ryan Ryan Reynolds. He's one up on wow. the goat and Deadpool. Girl, come on. He's one up wow. on those two. I mean, jeez. You, know, you know that movie? Um, I forget the name of it, but. The main character, you have to like date that person, and then you find your true love like right after. Good luck, Chuck. Good that's luck, Chuck. Leon that's Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, except only with extremely attractive that's women. That's a fact. Yep. That's yep. it. Not normal everyday people. That's Just it, man. The, I mean, the world's elite. I mean, Dave, do you remember? Was there a guy in your high school? Uh, that was going out with like the prettiest girl in school, and everybody was like, "Oh man, that guy!" Hmm. Like they're a little bit like, "Yeah." And he he dates the prettiest girl at that school, and then like the three other schools too. I was about yep. to say that's Leo's that, except it's every single high school in the state. You bring up a girl, <laughs> and he's just like, "Yeah, her too." Yeah, I dated, oh, yeah, her. I dated her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ninth grade is springish, if I recall. Yeah, that one. <laughs> like what? Crazy man, Dave. Despite the fact that we are decidedly the exact opposite of Leonardo DiCaprio and his swag, are you ready to fire the show up? We're still gonna fire it up, man. Let's go. All three engines up and burning. Two, one, zero, and lift off. I mean, I gotta start this show off with just a 
applause of Leo's. I mean, she may, maybe it's superficial, his lady list. But you know what? Maybe maybe you don't even know. Maybe they all had deep conversations. Regardless, Word. how do you get that many attractive people that have one thing in common? That they dated him. Amazing. Amazing. Yes! Anyway, speaking of amazing, Dave, we have an amazing show. Oh, my god! Yes, sir. We have Steve Gorman, who is the drummer for the Black Crows and now for Trigger Hippie. He's got a new... There we go. I know. He's got a new book coming out. Uh, it's about the 25 years he Dang. spent with the Black Crows. It's coming out here in just a couple weeks. He's got a Sweet. new album coming out with Trigger Hippie. It's coming out here okay. in about a month. And he's got a new radio show that's coming out. Dude, does this mm. guy ever sleep? That's what I said, man. That's what I said. When I was doing the research for this interview, I was like, man, I feel like a lazy sack of compared to this guy. I really need to do yeah, some stuff. Too. This guy is doing too much stuff, man. Uh, now, I will say right now, uh, his show starting this week uh, and the listeners should listen to it, except when they're listening to our show. That's right. That's uh, yep. I, uh, every other hour. Yeah, yeah. He's got five hours, so you're not gonna miss him for too much. But uh, Dave, are you ready to start where we start? Birthday suit. Hit me. Hit me. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Okay, here we go. Born on September 11th, 1985 in Peoria, Illinois. Hmm. Our birthday suit wearer loved basketball, even at a young age. He played all the way through elementary and high school years. He led his high school to two state titles and was named Mr. Basketball in Illinois. Jeez. He was ranked the number one point guard in the country. He committed to Duke but decided to skip college and go straight into the NBA. He was drafted fourth overall by the Clippers. He played with the Clippers until 2008, but then was traded to the Heat for a year because of an in uh -huh. he had an injury. This injury threw uh -huh. him off. He went then to the Thunder, then the Bobcats, then the Bucks, then the Wizards, then the Cavaliers, then the Nets, and then finally... The Warriors, wow. where he has been for the last several years. He won three championships with that team. Name that birthday suit wearer. Sean Livingston. Sean Livingston is correct. Yes, Ooh, indeed. That was a tough one. You know, I'm... You forget about him. He broke his leg. Tragic. That was scary. Yes! And then didn't find his stride until somehow Golden State clicked. I know, man. I know. It was just, I think he needed that supportive cast around him, you know? Yes! He needed, he needed that, that group that they, the, he found, he found the love of basketball again, Dave. That's, that's what that's he found. Sweet. That's, that's cheesy. That's, it's cheesy, he, but it's true. That's what he was actually. It's weird to think of him paired as like the group, in that group of guys that was able to skip college and go straight from high school. Yeah. And he's like not in the, not in that elite player group. No. But he, you know? but he should have been, you know, like, I mean, that injury threw him off. And like, yeah, if he, but he wasn't really that good before the injury. No, but like he might have been able to develop. And then I mean, like that's the thing is then you Fair. see him just being crazy skilled uh, on mm -hmm. on the on the uh, Warriors. But 
I, yeah. I got sidetracked completely. Nonetheless, it's his he birthday. Found, found the love of basketball. He's happy birthday. Thirty-four. He's loving basketball. Loving that he's Trente e Quattro. He's very excited. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> Dave, happy birthday, ex- Sean. Exactly. Are you ready to rip some headlines? Yes, sir. Rip it, man. It's now time for Rip from the Headlines. Okay. Dave, our our first story here is from PennsylvaniaLive.com. Um, oh, my favorite. Yeah, where I get a lot of my news for Pennsylvania news. Um, <laughs> well, they decided to uh, take our segment. We should be honored because they basically did our segment, Why Would You Review That? Say what? Except with all oh. the national parks in Pennsylvania. So they okay. they found they highlighted some of the most ridiculous uh reviews like us too. They didn't just go for the good ones. Nope. They found the ridiculous ones and highlighted them. And uh I got to say I love that we've been copied. You know? That's right. It's, a, it's a, I'm I'm going to go ahead and guess that they didn't get it from us, nope. but you know, I'm going to think they did. So that's what I'm going to do. They did. Uh, they did. <laughs> they did. It's for sure 100% certain. <laughs> um my favorite review is for the Gettysburg National Military Park and it comes from Okay. comes from Anna L. Here we go. Quote boring First off, nothing like the movie. All I saw were a bunch of fields and rocks. All the tourist shops, bars, hotels in the area kept saying how I should check this place out. I kept getting confused with all the plaques and monuments. I mean, who was fighting who? I have no idea. Hmm. The abandoned cannons look tacky. I give this one star for the overweight character in the square. But that's about it. Yawn. (laughs) End quote. Yeah. Anna. Coming through with the straight fire. First of all, she thought it was going to be like the movie. Like, did she think fighting was still going on? Like, these people are forced to perpetually fight forever? Like, there's just a continuous civil war going on for the last 160 years? Like, guys, we have been fighting for entirely too long. This is is getting ridiculous. (laughs) Then, she didn't know who was fighting? It's a civil war. By uh, by definition, it's a war between citizens of the same country. So true. Since you didn't, Thank you. since you didn't leave the country, I'm gonna assume it's American citizens. That's what I'm thinking, Anna. She posted that four years ago. I'm uh, I sort of wonder if she ever goes back and looks at it. it was like, yeah, that was good. That was right at the top of my review days right there. I'm good. Good. Pro- I'm gl- probably has the same thinking. I'm glad I'm glad I I'm glad I put that up there. Still happy with that review. Thank you. Man. Uh Dave, this next story comes from the New Haven Register in Connecticut. Um, okay. So, uh you you've seen the movie Shawshank Redemption, right? Hmm. I don't think so. Oh, okay. Okay, I was thinking uh, Justin. Justin's seen it before. Um, Well, here's what happens, right? Uh, Spoiler alert, folks. If you haven't seen this 1994 movie, fast forward through this part of the show or turn it off if you're listening on the radio. Um, Andy Dufresne is the main character. He's put in jail for murdering his wife and her lover. But 
he didn't actually murder them. Jeez. So he's put in jail for something oh. he didn't do, right? Which, in okay. general, would be like the most infuriating, just in, insane-inducing thing ever if you were that person. Like, uh, wow. Well, a, gu- yeah. a guy in Connecticut has been claiming sort of the same thing for the last three years. Word. Uh, so, Harold, I'll just use his first name. Uh, in 2016, Harold was charged with killing two men. And the 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 uh, murders happened in 2008, and he was charged in 2016. And for the last three years, mm-hmm. he's been claiming, even though he was charged with murders, he was like, "Hey, I haven't killed these people. That wasn't me, man. I need a retrial." And he's been pretty upset about it. Well, this past sure. Wednesday, he was charged with the murder of a third person. Wait, what? What the heck? And here's the really odd part. He admitted to killing the third person. Third. <laughs> so he's he's still professing his innocence on the first two murders. But the third murder, he was like, oh, yeah, that one? Yeah, that was me. Yeah, sorry about that. that was, I that actually was, did that one. That was bad. Like, if, if Harold's actually telling the truth, like, that's got to be the weirdest thing ever. Like, just think of the interrogation on the first murders when they were like, Harold, we want to know, did you kill these guys? Hmm. Wait, are you saying those two guys? Like, the guys you're pointing to in those pictures. Or just specific (laughs) two guys. I'm going to need... I want to make sure I got an accurate response because I did not kill those two guys. (laughs) We'll leave it there. Is that that good? Harold, out. Like, what is... So weird. Um... Dave, our next story from the Atlantic. You remember the Atlantic, okay. right? We ta- we, we've, we've done it a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. We talked about the Atlantic, and the you know they're usually known for some uh, straight up, really thought provoking good journalism. Well, I gotta say, oh yeah, this next story, um, it's a little weird. It's a little bit out there for hmm. me. Uh, so the Atlantic posted a whole excerpt from Caitlin Doughty's book. Will my cat eat my eyeballs? Big questions from tiny mortals oh, wow. about death. Jeez. So, you know, the whole the whole book is supposed to be answering these questions that we have about mortality and whatnot, right? And so it's supposed to add mm-hmm. sort of a levity to the situation. So I, I, I started reading this this article and I gotta be honest, it was really weird. It was about whether or not you can own and display your relatives' skeletons when they die. Wait, what? Oh, weird. Yeah. What yeah. What did they say? Well, uh, uh bottom line, you pretty much can't in most uh in most states. I, th- I think we can generally agree with that. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. And that was sort of what I, you know, <laughs> this is sort of what I was thinking the whole time I read it, which they never cleared up like who brought this up in the first place? Like who's tiny mortal question was this like hey by the way when my parents die who gets their skull hmm. can i put that on display put, a, put put it on the mantle can i have it on like a desk somewhere just nice i'm m&ms in the top cut off the top m&ms in the top like how weird oh, too far like, too far <laughs> like if you like <laughs> I, I sort of wonder now after reading it like if you go over to caitlin's house are you going to like see a skull and be like, hey, nice piece of art? She's going to be like, oh, that's not art. That's my mom's skull. Ew. Like, that's my mom. That's dad. <laughs> how how fast would you leave Caitlin's house if she told you that? I would be out of there. Immediately. Oh, you know what? I um, 
I forgot to pick up kids from the school. I forgot the, to any change kids, the laundry. Not mine. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I got to go. I got to go. Yes! Um, okay. Uh, our next story. Uh, I wish I wish uh, Justin was here for this one. Um, cause Why I, is I, it a I Philippine need, story? I need an Asian American opinion on the story. <laughs> I need an Asian American opinion. This story comes from BuzzFeed. And I don't know if you heard about this, Dave, but there was a bit of a hubbub. In the Newark airport uh -oh. over uh, Labor Day. Hmm. Yeah. No. Yeah. I don't think I heard about it. Oh well. Um. Last weekend in the New York uh, Newark airport, there was a massive panic, uh, mass panic after an employee of Alaska Airlines yelled out, "Evacuate! Evacuate!" and hit an alarm. Jeez. Right. Several several people mm -hmm. went running out of this terminal because they were they were concerned because you know they thought something horrible like mass shooting or something was going on. Um, sure. So uh, what turns out uh, there was not a mass shooting. Uh, there was an airline employee doing some um, some really weird things. Really weird things. So uh, I'll start out the story by introducing the two men that are the center point of the two of the story. Uh, that would be Han Han Zhu and uh, Chun Yi Lao. Chun Li Yao. Um, wow. Yeah. What names. Yep. Uh, I probably butchered that completely. Let's be honest. They're completely wrong. Justin probably. wouldn't have. He wouldn't have done any better. So <laughs> continue. These. Uh, <laughs> I. I will start this by saying these men did not know each other. Nope. Did not know each other. So, Zhu uh, was waiting on a uh, flight back to San Francisco. He was visiting some friends in New York, and he was just standing there waiting on his flight. When a lady from Alaska Airlines that was in a uniform walked behind him and sort of brushed up into him as she passed him. Like, sort of hit him, and he was like, what? And she, like, you know, looked him up and down, and he was like, that's, that's weird. Hmm. So, he just sort of brushed it off, right? Um, mm -hmm. the lady circles back around and is now standing in front of Zoo and standing beside Lau. Um, and he was like, weird, right? Lau mm -hmm. is a student at San Francisco College studying finance. He was going back to school. Um, and she went up to Lau and was like, hey, are you scared? And he was like, what? And she was like, are you nervous and he was like uh i mean i guess my my flight's late so i'm, I'm hoping it, it gets here in time and she was like yeah that often happens in the united states hmm. and then just sort of hmm. then just sort of stared at him and was like two feet away from him or closer and he was like well, this is odd. Yes! So Lau uh, stepped a few steps away to get away from her, right? That didn't stop her. Yeah. She went over to Zoo and was like, I'm going to interrogate this guy. And so she was like, hey, Zoo. She didn't know his name. I just said that. What? She was like, hey. She was like, do you know why your friend over there is acting so suspiciously? And he was like, who? And she was like, yeah, your friend over there. And he was like, I, I don't know him. And she was like, <laughs> yeah. Nope. Uh, how much are they paying you? And he was like, what? Who are you talking? I, I, paying me? What do you mean? Did they give you a visa as well? Hmm. And he's like, wow. what? I don't, I don't get it. So uh, Zoo chalked this up to like, wow, 
she is uh, just racist, just crazy. I'm going to uh, board this plane. Uh, so he went towards the plane, right? Like he got closer to the gate. And she said, she came up behind him. She's like, Psst, I'm on to you. The cops have been wow. called. And she went over wow. to the people at the gate, said a couple of words. And then, of course, she threw out the evacuate, evacuate, and slammed on the emergency alarm. Which, of course, everyone in the vicinity was like, ah, and sprinted out because they didn't know what was going on. Um, Right. Zoo said, the moment it happened is really hard to describe. Everybody started running. It was the most insane scene I've ever been in or ever seen. So true. Uh, So the cops came in, and they were uh, looking everybody up and down. And Zoo was like, he felt compelled. He was like, I I know why they're here. It's because that lady called the cops on me for no apparent reason. He was like, I better go tell them. So he went to the cop and was like, hey, um, that Alaska Airlines employee uh, called the cops on me. Uh, so you're probably looking for me. And they looked him up and down, and they're like, oh, yeah? Where's your friend? What? And he was like, uh, <laughs> I'm driving alone, but since I'm Asian and he's Asian, she thought we were t- together. So true. And they were like, oh. So then they talked to him for a while, and Zoo said at one point while the police were talking to him, this Alaska Airlines employee came out on the jetway bridge and yelled, we got the mother." And then went back. Oh in. my god! <laughs> now, wow! Interesting. You can't make that shit up. In- oh my god, that's bad. That's horrible. Interestingly, uh, CBS News uh, found out from a source. They said that the woman has bipolar disorder hmm. and had missed her medication, uh, which is odd. Because I didn't know another name for bipolar disorder was also known as manic racist disorder. I didn't know that was the case. Um, I got to be honest. Uh, bipolar doesn't make you racist. I don't know. I'm no, nope. I'm no MD, but I think I can tell you that. Uh, hey, when I take my medicine, I'm not racist anymore. I promise. <laughs> I just missed my pill. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, so after a couple hours, they were released Gosh. by the cops, but uh, they still missed their flight, and they actually met each other. The two met each other for the first time after this because they had to stay in a hotel together. Sweet. So, yeah. <laughs> so they met each other like, hey, so you were the other Asian guy that thought they were, we were partying together. Okay, cool. So you're my cool. friend. Cool. Okay. Nice. <laughs> nice. Um, ridiculous, ridiculous. I know, I know. Awful. I know this like isn't the the point of the story, but like, how? First of all, on stereotypical racist peoples, East Asian folks aren't at the top of that list as far as stereotypical terrorists. Nope. Like, right. Second of all, there are four and a half billion Asians in the world. So true. Like. How has she not seen a ton of Asians in every airport that she goes? And I got to be honest, with the exception of Justin, I've never seen an Asian person and been like, they're acting suspicious. I mean, yeah, Justin's the only Justin's one Ju- that gives me those weird vibes. Justin's the only one. <laughs> um, weird, yes. weird. Anyways, uh, I ho- hope that doesn't happen to anybody else going to the airport. Uh, 
Just, uh, uh, Justin. Oh, Jesus. What? Dave. <laughs> what are you? Well, at least we can say that you don't see a difference between yeah. different people. You know. You can't, you can't even tell the difference between Justin and I. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> uh, we were just talking about him, you know. And once I get on somebody's yeah. name, it gets stuck there. Anyways. Stuck there. <laughs> so true. Dave, this next story is from Banger, Maine. Uh, oh, that's a cool name. Yeah, and get this. It's from the Banger Daily News. Sweet. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, it, they drop bangers. Yeah. Dave, have you ever been late on your rent? Hmm. No, man. Nice. Well, I've only paid rent for a month, so... <laughs> So, so not to, not. To, I do, I had to pay up front for that one. There, you, there you go. There you go. Well, if you had uh, any ideas on what you would do if you had trouble paying, like if you didn't have money, what would you do? Maybe like uh, hit up a friend. I do like or I'd call mom and dad and cry. There you go. I like that. That's a good. That's a good option, right? Uh, I'm, or sell my body on the streets. Oh, even better. Um, Wait, yeah. what? I'm guessing Ted. The center of the story did not have those two options. Well, I guess he had the second one, but um, he definitely had the second. <laughs> but he may not have had many takers. And it, the legality issues are the problem there. Um, so yeah. true. He lived in downtown Fort Kent, and uh, his landlord okay. called him and said, "Hey, you're behind on rent. I'm going to need you to pay it." And he was like, "Uh, cool." And he didn't have this money. Uh, and the landlord showed up to his house to pick up the rent. And uh, he knocked on the door, no response. So he unlocked the door because he's the landlord. He yeah. And he found Ted lying on the floor unresponsive. Hmm. And he was like, oh, no. And so he's worried, right? He's like, Ted, what's wrong with Ted? So he called the police. Mm -hmm. Um, it was at this moment that Ted stood up and was like, hey, sorry, I was what? I was faking being unconscious because I don't have the money. Um, <laughs> downside for Ted, the police still came, and Ted had an outstanding warrant hmm. uh, on top Girl, on. of not being able to pay the rent. So uh, Ted was evicted, and he went to jail. So, uh, oh, poor guy. Total downer for Ted. But I mean, I gotta, yeah, man. I gotta be honest. That was the best he came up with. Like, that was the best he came up with. He was like, what should I do? Uh, well, I've got an outstanding warrant. I should probably play dead. Nope. There's no way that if he comes over, he would call the cops. Like, come on, Ted. He'll think, just look over me and keep going. Take it forward, man. He's not gonna be like, oh. There's a unconscious, potentially dead body in the uh, in the apartment that I rent. Well, I should probably just leave it there. All right, I'll leave it there. Like, that's not going to happen, Ted. Nope. Come on, man. Come on. All right, last story, Dave. Um, All right. This story comes from The Sun, which I don't know if you know The Sun, but it's it's a little tabloidy. The phoenix. It's, it's not... No, 
Uh, it's a little tabloidy, a little bit of questionable journalism. Uh, and I got to be honest, mm-hmm. this next story, probably no exception. Yes! Uh, the story is actually describing a woman who wrote in to Slate's Dear Prudence podcast, which is like a self-help podcast, you know, where they ask okay. questions mm-hmm. and they give them advice. Well, the woman said that she decided that she was going to get her husband a DNA test for his birthday just for fun. Hmm. The okay. re- results came back saying mm-hmm. that the two were actually first cousins on his paternal oh. side. Um, oh. And she said, quote... Happy birthday. <laughs> she said, quote, the news unsettles me and has left my husband, w- husband's world in tatters. I'm, I'm going to be honest. If this story is actually real, which, like I said, probably not. Probably somebody just wanted to write into this thing and write something weird. But, like, if it's real, how did you marry your cousin and not know? Hmm. Like, How did no one say anything? Like, how does that happen? How does that happen? Like, it doesn't it seem strange when you're like, hey, that's my aunt. And your husband's like, hey, that's my mom. And you're like, nothing weird there. Let's move on and not ask any questions. Let's keep like, going. That's <laughs> what? Or at the wedding when the same family is to see there to see both members of the wedding. Mm. Like that mm. doesn't make sense. Now, one thing that Didn't I didn't, didn't mention is that they also have a child together jeez and uh oh that poor thing yeah exactly and like i was thinking with her quote the news unsettles me and has left my husband's world in tatters i was like what about the bomb you drop on that kid like when you're when you're like oh by the way we're actually uh related uh you're the result of a freaky incestual marriage ew like what is the kids like oh. your future has just diminished <laughs> right in front of your face it's just like oh cool i didn't know i was part of a royal family from the 1200s that's awesome that's a fact thank you like oh so sorry for that kid anyways dave that has been ripped from the headlines we are going to take a break we are going to hear from our guest today, Steve Gorman, with his new band, Trigger Hippie. This is The Door off their new album, Full Circle, and then some, right here on the Doc G Show. Enjoy.
And we are back here on the Doc G Show. Spinnaker Radio, WSKRLP, 95.5 FM in Jacksonville, Florida. Dave? Hmm. Guys, wherever you know how to go get a podcast, go do mm-hmm. it and download the Doc G Show. Mm-hmm. You'll be happy you did. Yep. Whether you want to put on your headphones and not listen to your significant other bother you, mm-hmm. or you're trying to drown out the noise while you're doing something that really doesn't matter, like your job. <laughs> That's true. You'll appreciate it. Very nice. Um, Nicely done. Thank you. Nicely done. Go to the docgshow.com as well and see who we have coming up and some other cool stuff we on got there. Two mon- you're welcome. We got two months lined up, folks. Yeah. Two months of shows. You can check them all out there. People just want to be on it's here. It's crazy. It's crazy. We got comedians. We got we got actors. We got musicians. Everything. Everything. Uh, speaking of that, Dave, are you ready to do some shout-outs? 
Yeah, man. Who listened to us last week? All right. Well, I got to say, first off, it's it's a sad day for shout Wait, what? No. No. Yeah. I think we may have offended. I think we may have offended the people of Mozambique. Oh. No. No listens from our family in Mozambique. No listens. I don't know what we did, guys, but whatever we did, we are sorry. Yes. We are sorry. We, we take back the skull jokes. We take back whatever it is. We want to see you guys back listening to the show. So true. But I will start out with a happy shout out to our new program director. It's Genoa. No, new new oh, program yeah. director at Spinnaker uh, Spinnaker Radio. Emma, shout out to her. Shout, shout out. out to Emma. Shout out to you, Emma. Emma, we apologize Thanks for directing us since you were forced to listen to our show. We're sorry. <laughs> this not a voluntary listen. Um, nope. Next, Rockville, Maryland. Yeah, Rockville. Okay. Cool. Yeah, they rock. It's a new yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. They rock out to the Doc G yeah, show. Yeah, rock out with their socks out. They do it. Uh, Always. Shout out to uh, shout out to across the pond. We've got Alcara de Hernanes of España. Yeah. Out. Wow. Yeah. Look at that pronunciation. He nailed that Thank one. Thank you. Thank you. I do better in Spanish. I do do better in Spanish. Nope. Um, <laughs> let's stay in Europe. Let's go up to Dublin, Ireland. Yes. Yes. You mean Dublin? No, I like Dublin. That's how you say it when you're in Ireland. Because every time... Dublin. Every time you see it, you be Dublin inside. Exactly. Exactly. Word. Uh, let's go back over the pond. We're going to go to our north neighbors. Tabor, Canada. Tabor. Oh, Canada. They're definitely regulars there in Tabor. You know, they listen every yeah, week. We thank you guys. You're more regular than a laxative. We appreciate it. What? Um... Let's go all the way across the world now. All the way across. Do it. Melbourne, Do it. Melbourne, Australia. Shout out to Melbourne. Shout out. Crikey. Yeah. Shout out to you guys. I don't know, Dave. That might be borderline offensive to the Australians. And th- this, this is something stupid, by the way, that I realized. Hmm. Um, but, like, it was one of those aha moments that was also dumb. You know, like, I realized it, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, shouldn't you already have recognized that? That's dumb. So true. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know how Australians always say Australia? They always say Australia. Um, yeah. That's the way it should be. It should be Australia. Yep. Because it's... Yeah, however they say it. Well, it's it's A-L-I-A. Phonetically speaking, oh, that's actually it. It's trail, yeah. Yeah, if we were actually yeah. saying it the way like we pronounce it, it would be E-L-L-I, or E-L-L-A. Yep. Like, and that's not how it's yep. spelled. Nope. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. I was just doing a little phonetic uh, inspection. You were deep in thought. Yeah. 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 Uh, anyways, back to shout outs. Shout out to Valencia, España. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Shout out to y'all. Shout out to our listeners in Citrus Heights, California. Regulars there. We thank you. I like to think it's Common Kings. That's shout what I think out. it is. It's Common Kings, guys. I think, you know, I think you may have a good shot there being right. Shout out to Uncle Lou. Thanks for you guys being on the show. Um, lastly, shout out to Genoa. There you go, Dave. There you go. Yes. They, they were listening. Yes, they were. All right. You guys still love they us. They do. They do. And we love all of you for listening. Thank you. Um, Dave, are you ready? Second birthday suit? 
I think so. Okay, here we go. Um, born on September 11th, 1977 in Champaign, Illinois. Oh, two Illinois back to back. That's right. His birth his birth name was Chris Brian Bridges. Our birthday mm-hmm. suit wearer moved to Atlanta at the age of nine, which was the first time he wrote a rap. Hmm. After high okay. school, our birthday suit wearer went on to Georgia State, where he studied music management for a year before taking a job at Hot 97.5, the radio station, as an intern and then a DJ. He eventually started rapping and he released an album titled Back for the First Time that had songs Southern Hospitality and What's Your Fantasy. Hmm. The next album was Word of Mouth with songs Roll Out, Saturday, and Area Codes. Hmm... Name that birthday suit wearer. Ludacris. Luda. Yeah. Luda. That's right. Ludacris, 42 years young. Chris Brian Bridges. We. Yeah. I didn't know that it was his name, but the dude, he's got a cool story, man. He's wor- He worked up for that. You could tell. He did, man. He did. He worked his way through. He got all the notable names while he was at the radio station. He started making connects with producers, started working his way in with Pharrell and Timbaland, and then he uh, started making the tunes, and you know what? He's just got some fun lyrics. You got to give it to him. They're fun. Yeah, and he just sounds different. You know, he's just got that voice. Yeah, he's got a super deep voice, and you're like, well, that's that's a cool voice. And then it goes along with these just awesome metaphors and 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 yeah, backwards rhyming schemes, and you're just like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Uh, he's a cool dude. Happy he, birthday, Luda. 42, living it up, man. 42, living it up. Uh, so, Dave, you remember... Um, Sometimes I say controversial things on the show. So true. Yep. They can be outlandish. And uh, sometimes they reel people in to listen. And you know why that <laughs> is. You know why yes, it reels sir. them in. It's because I'm the master clickbaiter. Yeah. Yeah, you are. The most contentious. The most salacious. The most controversial. The most titillating. Get ready for the doc to wow you in a segment called The Master Clickbaiter. Yeah. Okay. So, Dave, um, we can both say we're, we're gym goers, right? We're gym we, goers. We, we frequently, you know, we, we swipe our card to get in every once in a while. Yeah. We hit the gym. That's why we have such killer bods. I understand. That's a fact. Um, well... They re- see me in a bikini. Sweet. Amen. Amen. Uh, I was in the gym the other day, and I realized something. And uh, when I say this, I get it. People are going to riot. Yeah. They're going to be protesting outside of the studio for weeks. I get it. But you know what, Dave? I just have to say it. Get it off your chest. Here goes. When you're doing the Stairmaster... Don't hold yourself up on the rails. Thank you. There. I said oh. it. I said it. Oh. It's ridiculous, people. What's your what's your thought process? It's ridiculous out there, I'll tell you. Unless you need the balance, it's ridiculous. 
The whole idea of the exercise is that you are lifting yourself up on the stairs with your feet. You are walking upstairs. Mm -hmm. When you hold mm -hmm. yourself up by the railing, you're no longer yep. doing that. So true. You're yep. literally just, you're just finding moving a, legs in air. You're finding a weird way to waste time. That's what you're doing. That's it. <laughs> right? When you hold yourself up on the railing, it's like me going outside to blow the lease off my driveway with a leaf blower, but before I go outside, taping up the end of the leaf blower with tape and being like, eh, this is going really slow now. That's a fact. It's not blowing much at all. Yeah. Nope. Because I completely stopped what I was supposed to do, man. It's ridiculous. Now I'm sure there's some fitnessing folks out there that are like, oh, come on, Ben. That's crazy. That's just crazy. Well, if that's crazy, person that's saying that's crazy, next time you go to the gym and you're one of those handrail holders, go ahead. Try it again. Go on there. Do the exact same thing, but don't hold your hands. Hmm. See how much easier or harder it is. I'm going to go ahead and guarantee it's going to be way harder. harder. <laughs> because you're actually doing the exercise. It's ridiculous. Is I mean, it, how, what would you say like the calorie expenditure difference is? Oh, it's like double, man. It's like double. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, you're trying to better yourself by going to the gym. That's a fact. And then you're stopping yourself from actually working out. It's like you deciding you're going to eat healthy, and then every time you take a bite of veggies, you wash it down with a Jack and Coke. It's not going to be healthy mm. for you then. It's just not Come good. Come on. Hmm. <sighs> now that I got that off my chest, Dave, I feel better. Do you feel better? Yeah. Good. Yeah, I mean it's controversial. I get it. We're gonna get we're gonna get letters. The old snail mail letters. What? Lots of folks writing in. Nope. Pen pals. They're no longer pen pals. They're angry pals. Word. Because well, I you'll just have people at the gym yeah. on the stairmaster holding on with their arms just death staring you. Yeah, and I'll be like, hey, take them off. Maybe you'd be a little bit healthier. Oh, snap. Oh, burn. That's right. That's right. Guys, we are going to be right back. We are going to be back with our guest of honor, Mr. Steve Gorman, right here on the Doc G Show. Hey, what's up? This Rock Montana. This Mucho Yellow. And it's Rockin' Yellow. And you're listening to Doc G Show from 803 to 904, the best show on the radio. You dig? Welcome back to the show today. We are joined by a rock legend, drummer of the Black Crows and Trigger Hippie, radio personality, author, and from what I can tell, uh, extremely busy man, Mr. Steve Gorman. Steve, how's it going? Um, it's it's going well, sir, and busy would be the buzzword of the day, yes. Yeah, yeah, let's start at the heart of it. You've been a drummer for 30-odd years Black Crows, yep. Trigger Hippie, but but you literally didn't sit behind a kit until a couple of years before you started with the Black Crows. Um, I've heard you say in interviews you sort of felt like you should have been drumming all along. Uh, what, finally, right. what finally pushed you over the edge to, to start playing drums in a band? Well, I got to college in the fall of 83, and I met a kid right you know in my first week at school i met a guy that had a drum kit mm -hmm. and i you know i looked at him and said hey can i try that <laughs> and so you know i've been spent my my entire life obsessively air drumming in my head and thinking about it yeah and i had i had played you know i had a snare drum in fourth grade i tried to be in the school band for a minute and i had you know 
sat at kits before and actually just to see if I knew how to do it. It made yeah. sense to me. The right foot does this, the left hand does that. But the first time I really sat and played for a while, I would I had just turned 18. And then over the course of three years in college, uh, once a year, me and some friends played a New Year's Eve party. And I just faked my way through that. But after <laughs> the third one, you know, flash forward three years, that third time doing it was enough for me to say, okay, I've got to, I've got to try to pursue this. And, and so was playing a little more often. I was borrowing someone else's kid at that point, you know? Yeah. But I had played a total of, I think six or seven parties where we're just playing punk songs that are really easy and it doesn't, there's no way to play them wrong type of thing. Yeah. Uh, when my buddy called and said, let's start a real band. And so I, you know, I ended up moving to Atlanta in February of 87 and I bought a kit when I got there. And that was really the first time I ever played two days in a row or three times in the same month. You know, I was, I already, I was already in a band and I was making up for a lot of lost time. Yeah. Well, I, I think that it, it, it's surprising your approach to drums because you seem so relaxed when it comes to your drumming and you don't you don't get that that technical when you talk about your drums it's more of a feel and we uh we recently had Johnny well, that, well that's that's a hundred percent of my approach I I never because I didn't have years in the basement learning you know rudiments and chops and caring about things like stick speed yeah i was always just a fan of you know i've always said like i don't play drums i play music and yeah. i'm doing it as, as a drummer i mean i just i i still to this day i don't get much out of playing in a, in a room by myself if i haven't played for a while i get myself back up into playing shape but it's it's not fun for me i just i like playing songs yeah yeah well it, it, it's so funny because we had johnny rab on the show collective soul and you guys as far as approach to drumming it's like the exact opposite because he's all uh-huh. technique and structure and he was talking about resonance of different heads and you're like well i played i don't remember what kid i was playing I, it, but it sounded good and this is what i did and it, i mean you both come yeah. out sounding great it's just completely different as far as the approach um yeah i mean it really is you know i i mean i i I always say it like people say, what do you think of people like Neil Peart of Rush or whatever? And I, and you know, my answer is always the same thing. We play different instruments. It's, you know, everyone, your approach is your feel. Your, your feel is your, is who you are. I mean, yeah. I mean, to me, the best drummers are the guys that you can't imagine the band that they're in having anyone else. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, no matter how you get there, if you all arrive at the same place, which is, your feel is the feel of the band then you're doing your job yeah yeah well speaking of the first uh band you were in well the major band black crows you moved to atlanta like you were saying uh in the 80s and you weren't planning on being in the black crows um but chris no, Rod- i moved down to start uh, i started a band with a with a buddy that i'd grown up with and he had moved to atlanta and his roommate was chris robinson so yeah when, and we, we all moved into a house together. So when I first got there, you know, my first night in town uh, is I, I met Chris. He actually picked me up at the bus station. Jeez. So within a few months, the band I started was playing gigs already. But then Chris was recruiting me to play with he and his brother. And that's the way it went. What What were you thinking when he picked you up from the the, the bus stop? Because I got, I got to imagine he was a weird character. <laughs> Yeah, my first thought was this guy looks just like Emo Phillips. If you remember that comedian <laughs> yeah. from the late '80s, yeah, you know, really short hair, big eyes, really big nose, 
super, super skinny and hyperactive. And he, you know, he was unlike anybody I'd ever met. I mean, you know, I, I, I went, I came from a place where I was kind of the, in a sense, I was a bit of the wild guy or the, the X factor person in my group of friends. Yeah. And I met Chris and he was just from another planet. He was just <laughs> so hyper hype. His energy was, was, was exhausting actually, but he was really funny. You know, we clicked right away. We had different, but uh complimentary senses of humor, if you will. Yeah. And so we were off and running from the first night I got to town. Nice. Nice. Well, I saw, speaking of those times, you posted on Instagram a couple of months ago about Fellini's Pizza. Sweet. And uh, mm-hmm. we had Driving and Crying on the show a couple of months ago, and they mentioned Fellini's Pizza. And you were saying it was sort of like the hub of music. Oh, yeah. Was it like that it back the, in the it day? Was, it, it was It was the nerve center, as far as I could tell, for the Atlanta music scene, for the, for the original music bands. I mean, it wasn't a cover band scene, but... For yeah. all the bands like Driving and Crying and, and, and Mr. Crow's Garden, which is what we were called at the time, and then Marry My Hope, which was the band that I had originally started. Yeah. You know, all those bands, uh, the, the Fellinis and Little Five Points, as well as the one in Buckhead, was uh, everybody that worked there were, were musicians. Everybody at both locations was in a local band. So, including the owner, Clay, was yeah. in a band at the time called the Coolies. So, yes! It just was, it was the place you could go, you could get a free beer, you could get a free slice, and you wouldn't be in trouble if you missed a shift, because everybody had gigs and rehearsals, and it was just sort of, you know, it was always next man up, you know, you could you could wake up in the morning and think, oh man, I, I can't go to work today, and there was there was 15 other dudes in town that, that had a free six-hour shift, and you know, you just, it was a, it was a, it was a really, really, even at real time, everybody was aware, like, this is a pretty cool situation. You know what I mean? Like, this, <laughs> yeah. is, this is about as cool as it gets, actually. So between the fact that you could drink and eat for free and blast loud music, uh, not too many jobs I've ever had in my life were better than that. It seems like a making for a sitcom, almost. Yes! Like, I mean, that seems like uh, a great... Yeah, that's, uh, you're not the... I mean, I, and I, I originally, I had that idea, in fact, in the early 2000s when I was living in L.A., Yeah. I put together a show and got it into development that was literally based around that um, with with FX. It's it's still a great idea. It's just a matter of the right people getting it and having the time to put it together. But it was really, it really is. It sounds like a, a cliche, but it, it really was true. It was like, you know, the center of the music scene in, in the late 80s Atlanta wasn't a club or a bar. It was a pizza joint. Nice. Well, I, I heard uh, in an interview you talking about those early Crow days, and how you guys made a ton of original music. Um, and it was just sort of like, you know, after a month, you'd already moved on to another song. Did, do you think you you missed any great songs in those times that, like, could have been, hmm. you know, a, a, a great no, not, hit? No, not in those, no, not in those days. Because it was, and, and it, you know, there was so much growth. I mean, we may have thrown away a couple of ideas that could have turned into something. but But for the most part, you know, we knew what we were doing in terms of, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, when, when, when the writing clicks and a band's ability to play what's in their head clicks, you know, yeah. as you're, <clears throat> we were figuring out individually and collectively what kind of band and what kind of players we were going to be. <clears throat> Excuse me. So as that's all clicking, there is, a, there was a, like the year 1988 was just a giant year for growth. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's like anything else. Once you get a couple, you know, if you learn, if, if you improve your golf swing, you don't improve by one stroke, you improve by like 18 strokes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It works across the whole round. 
And with writing and playing music, it's kind of the same way. You just hit this rush of, of, a, of your, you know, your growth curve gets really, really sharp. And so, you know, we would put something together and then either within two weeks, it would either be improved or discarded because the next thing was better. And, yeah. you know, I remember all those tunes. I could sit here and hum and, and remember dozens of Mr. Crow's Garden songs. Yeah. And they were all, they were stepping stones. They were all getting us in the right direction and moving it forward. But I think we left behind a lot of great music in the nineties. Once we were a touring recording successful band, yeah. um, to be, to be honest. I mean, once we were on the road nonstop and constantly working new material up, there was some, some of my favorite crow songs ever. And some of my favorite crows recordings were never released, um, for a variety of reasons. Mm. Uh, do you think a lot of that in improvement in in the band in those early years was because of uh, of George Draculius? Do you think like oh, with, with that, there's no question. I mean, it, there, there's there was a band, you know, there was Mr. Crow's Garden before, and then there was Mr. Crow's Garden after we met George, and the difference was incredible. We were starting to come together, and you know, we had found um, some connecting points, if you will. Like we were turning into something. But we, but we didn't have any focus. We still couldn't tell what we were good at and what we were bad at. You know, we were trying everything. And when George met us, he immediately distilled that. He said, "Stop that! Stop that! Just do this." <laughs> yeah. You know, he, which is which was what producers do. You know, they, yeah. you know, young young artists oftentimes. You know, we did have a lot of great ideas, but we didn't have the ability to pull them off, or mm -hmm. we didn't have. You know, they weren't in our wheelhouse, and so George's enormous uh, you know impossible to quantify contribution at first was simply that he goes this is what you guys are good at just do this type of thing and and go back and listen to these records and find that groove he looked at me and said you know you've got a really good groove and you don't even realize it and he looked at rich and said your right hand is fantastic but you're not a traditional lead player just get an open tunings and 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 find those chords progressions that you're you know, you're writing lead parts, turn them into chords, kind of like Keith Richards does. And, yeah. You know, and, and we were smart enough to, to trust him, you know, so it was, um, we had met some A&R people before and producers and for whatever reason, we just didn't think that they, you know, we didn't take what they said too seriously. From the minute we met George, we all had a sense of, okay, this is the guy. I mean, we, yeah. we literally the first night we met him, we left. New York City the next day saying that's the guy this is who we're going to work with he gets it and we trust him yeah and he he was the person that suggested Otis Redding covering him right yeah he did we were all we were making the record a year later in 89 and that first box set had come out the Otis box set was out and we were listening to it all the time and he said well hey let's do an Otis song and George was like hey Georgia band Otis is from Georgia <laughs> And, um, you know, Chris's reaction, which makes perfect sense at the time was, are you crazy? Yeah. You know what? Not a lot of singers want to jump into Otis on their first album. Yeah. Um, but then, but then eventually came around and, you know, and Chris, we were saying, well, you know, what song? And, and I, I'm pretty sure it was Chris who said, let's do, let's do hard to handle. Let's try that. And so, you know, we threw it together in the, uh, in rehearsal and pre-production and then Chris changed the cadence of the break just yeah. the way that it is in the Crows version he, he just sang it that way the first time and that's really we all went like hey that's cool like yeah. that's different you know and 
And George was definitely, you know, we were trying to swing it the way Otis did. And George was like, no, just play it straight. Like, it's a rock song, you know? And yeah. It fell together pretty quickly. Yeah. But well, the it, truth is, none of us, we thought of it as a B-side. We were so dumb. We're thinking, yeah, this won't even be on the album, but it's kind of cool to have it in the, our back pocket. And obviously, George and the people at the label heard something very different. And because they, you know, they, they heard it and were like, oh, my God, that's going to be a hit. And we thought, what are you, crazy? No one wants to hear an Otis writing song. Yeah, well, it's it's amazing as, as far as the conversion of a soul song to a rock song, because you do just enough to change it, to make it your own, and to make it in in a lot of ways better. You know, it's hard to say yeah. make Otis well, better, but you know it, especially to the part of the drums coming in first. That's mm-hmm. when when I went back and listened to it. As far as that hard hitting drums, that's the thing I automatically notice when it comes in with right. that drum beat. And it, in Otis's, you've got that piano first, and it's just yep. a completely different feel of the two songs. Great. Sure. So, well, so, I think I think it's important if you do a cover, you know, you've got to put your own stamp on it. But, you know, and, and this might be a little ethereal, but I really believe, you know, we we were trying, you know, we were very aware of, man, you can really screw up when you're trying to cover an Otis tune. You yeah. know, we, 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 we put our heart and soul. We didn't think it was going to. We never thought of it as a single, but yeah. we put everything we had into it. We wanted it to be great because we just genuinely felt so much about his music and how important he was to us. We didn't want to do anything, you know, half ass. And I think that really played a large part in it too. It just has an intangible sense of, of reverence to, to Otis. Yeah. So talking about those early days, you are putting out a book here in just a couple of days, hard to handle uh, the life and death (laughs) of the black crows, which coming out uh, September 24th. First off, what made you want to write the book? And second, did you expect any blowback from any of the other members of the band? Hmm. Um, well, I, you know, I th- it's funny because writing a book was not something I, I seriously considered, although it was always kind of a running shtick for years, which is, well, Steve's going to have to write the book one day. Just <laughs> I have a good memory. I, I can see things in linear form. You know, it's just yeah. the way. Um, I, you know, I, I can, I just had a sense of what was happening in real time. I think that other guys would say they, they weren't paying attention to. So, yeah. um, and, and I always would, and I, my line forever was, well, I'd write the book, but nobody would believe it, you know, and it was just <laughs> a joke, but, but, you know, I have written other things, I've you know, short stories or whatever, just things for myself. I'm always, I've always been writing. I was never a diarist, but like I said, I always remembered everything pretty clearly. So, yeah. um, I, you know, and I had people once the, when the band blew up in 2014, yeah. right away, people got in touch and said, Hey man, maybe you want to write a book. And I, and I just said, no, not, not, it was still too close. And it, yeah. you know, I just needed to get away from it for a while. And so it was always in the back of my mind, but very, very loosely. And then Ed Harsh died almost three years ago, November of 2016. Yeah. And you know, his death, while it wasn't a shock, uh, it, it, it definitely signaled something in me like, uh, you know, maybe, maybe this is the time. And I, my radio show, Steve Gorman Sports was on the air at the time. And yeah. I, I opened the show that day with like a 12 minute eulogy for Ed. Yeah. And when I sat down that morning to write it, it was as I was writing it, you know, I was, I, I was flooded with a lot of thoughts and a lot of emotions. And I thought, you know the story of this band is 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 I don't know what people make of the story of the Black Crows, but it ain't the truth. It ain't what really happened. <laughs> yeah, in in a good and bad way. 
And the narrative has always been controlled by people who have no interest in actually looking at what really happened. And it's all it's all a bit of a fantastical sort of, you know, I just I just didn't like the way the band was had, had been represented while it was still together, much less since it ended. Yeah. And, and it ended in such a despicable fashion and truly jaw-dropping uh, move to, to end something after 27 years. And, and Ed died, and I thought, you know... I can't let this band just die without at least explaining how it looked and felt to me. It, yeah. just, it just, it took on a new importance because I didn't hold out. I wasn't holding out any hope the band could reunite. And I wasn't holding out hope we could reunite with Ed or any of that. Yeah. That said, once someone dies, the whole emotional, you know, uh, formula shifts pretty yeah. quickly. Like, Oh, that's, that's really done now. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. okay. And, and it just, it was, you know, in, in the months following his death, I just found myself thinking about it more. Yeah. And then, you know, I was like, oh, gosh, I think I'm actually interested in doing this. And, yeah. you know, and it's also, I mean, it's 27 years of my life that that was the both the highest and the lowest moments that you could imagine. It was everything. And... And it was, I just, you know, I, I just wanted to get it out. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's almost like get it out of my system. It's all sitting there in my head mm -hmm. and in my heart. And it just, and, and so again, I kind of tiptoed in. I just started writing out loose fragments and, you know, I'd sit down and say, well, just write, write a bunch of, you know, come up with a narrative. What's the arc of the story? And then I'd look up and six hours passed and I was actually <laughs> just writing the whole time. And yeah. I was like, okay, I, could look, I think I'm going to write this book now. <laughs> uh, well, uh, it, it's supposed it, it should be very exciting. It's uh, I'm, I've, I've already pre-ordered my copy. I'm I'm interested to see all the stories because there's definitely got to be a lot of them over that time for sure. Uh, the other band you started, um, Trigger Hippie, uh, mm -hmm. it's been going on now for for ten years, but you had a hiatus in there. Uh, how how'd the original version of Trigger Hippie start? Yeah. The original Trigger Hippie is is the bassist Nick Govrick and I. Uh, we met in 2004, right when I moved to Nashville, and we started jamming together. And we would just play at a bar in town for tips on Wednesday nights, and just purely for fun. Yeah. But right away we clicked, and and said, I mean, the first time we played, we ended the night saying we sound like an actual rhythm section, like we were completely copacetic in our styles, and yeah. we just felt really connected, and. And so it originally, you know, for years when I would be home between Crow's tours and when he was available, you know, we just, a few times a year, we'd get together for a month of Wednesday nights or Thursday nights and just do this thing. It was always, we'd just find a guitar player and a keyboard player, whoever was available, and we would just go jam. Yeah. And, you know, around 2010, you know, I, I knew the Crows were, at, at that time, I thought the Crows were going to be done forever. And, and it was always it was always a matter of when, not if, the band would break up. And uh, and Nick and I were talking, and I said, you know, let's go find a, let's go find a singer and put some songs together. And it just, and then, you know, and we were both at a place where it was like, let's just do this. No master plan, but yeah. we did love playing together. And Nick is the, he's the principal songwriter in Trigger Hippie, and he had all these songs. And once I heard the songs he was writing, I said, oh, well, we have great material. Let's just get this going. Yeah. And so it just, it, that's what really started it. I bumped into Joan Osborne, who I'd known, and said, hey, you know, you, you're looking for a band? And she laughed and goes, yeah, well, let's see. And she came <laughs> to Nashville, and we spent a weekend throwing ideas around. And, it, you know, we, we had a good time. Yeah. And it just, 
it just fell along in place and it was sort of a side project for for her for everybody everybody that we were playing with was enjoying it but it was nothing anybody would take seriously yeah you know for for a lot of reasons you know it's not like we're all 20 years old <laughs> everybody's got full lives and families and other things yeah um we we've ended up with a lineup and a chance to record some tunes we'd written back in 2012 and 13 and so we did and again it was very piecemeal it was just every few months we'd get together and play some shows or or do some recording we put an album out in 2014 and as soon as we went out and hit the road to start playing with it it was pretty obvious that um you know nick and i had one approach and everybody else had a pretty different one you know like it was this was definitely something that we we felt like this could be a band. This could be a full-time band. Yes. This could be the thing that that's our musical, you know, efforts to put it all to trigger hippie. And that just wasn't going to be possible with that with that lineup and that band. And when we finished some dates in the summer of 2015, you know, I, I said, I'm just not built to do something as a side project. It yeah. doesn't fit in my just how I approach things. And and so, you know, he said, well, let's just take some time and see if we want to keep doing this. Uh, you know, or if we were just going to do it as that, then I, then I just needed to get a break. Because the clothes had blown up in 14, and then right, right on the heels of that, we put a record out and toured and Trigger Hippie. So, really, by the summer of 15, I said, I just need a break from everything. I still haven't, I'm still on a, I had a Black Crows hangover, and now yeah. I'm trying to cram another band right on its heels. <laughs> So, so we took a, you know, I just said, I'll, I'll check in at some point, but I had my radio show going and, you know, I got two teenagers. I have enough other things in my, yeah. on my day to day. Um, and it was, you know, sometime about a year later. So sometime in 16 or early 17 that we said, okay, let's, let's see what we got. And right away we got together with, uh, Ed Jurdy yeah. in a band called the band of Heathens, oh, an yeah. old friend. And he said, Hey, if you're going to think about trigger hippie, you know, I'd, I'd check it out. And the three of us got together, and right away we just found ourselves putting music together. And that that break, however long it was, was was really what I needed. Like I felt totally rejuvenated and refreshed, and 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 was fascinated by what might happen again. You know, which that had kind of gone away. Yeah. Um, and so then we just started the process of okay, let's put a band together that that we know what we want to do. Now let's find the right people. And so it's been a really patient, you know, the older I get, the more patient I get, which is kind of counterintuitive, but, <laughs> you know, you, it, you know, you start rushing into things and realize, you know, let's just chill out here. Let's just make, <laughs> make sure the pieces all fit first. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, the new album is coming out October 11th. Now I noticed on, mm-hmm. uh, Instagram, the band, uh, is called, uh, country soul rock and roll. Uh, as, mm-hmm. as as far as the musical sound, because you were saying you were talking about that sound developing, uh, how how would you say it sort of compares to the Crows for the people that are familiar with the Crows albums? What would you say you know is sort of similar? Well, I, What's I, different? I think both bands both bands draw from all the same wellspring, you know, all the same um, styles of music. I mean, rock and roll is is a, is an amalgamation of you know country and blues and yeah folk and all those things and yeah. those are all the you know the members of trigger hippie have all the same albums growing up that the members of the black crows had you know okay. we all listen to the same stuff we're all coming from the same area yeah i think that the i think trigger hippie songs are a little more a little more direct and linear there's not so much uh psychedelic imagery for the for the point of it you know there's not a lot of um 
uh, it, it's just a very, it's a much more clear sort of sense of what we're trying to do. Yeah. Um, you know, the Black Crows was a band that, you know, there was a lot of fuel in all of that angst and dysfunction, but ultimately that also killed it. Yeah. And there's there's none of that with this band, you know, nice. we're the, the, you just, you know, it's, it, it sounds trite to say it's an adult band. It, it's not <laughs> that it's, but, but there's a, but there's a genuine respect for each other. Yeah. That in a band like the Black Crows was, was, was quite seriously, it was fundamentally impossible to ever establish that. <laughs> you know, beyond, beyond surface level. Yeah, of course. Uh, well now one thing we found out about your band member, cause we had, uh, Ed on the show, uh, several months ago, yes! but we found out mm -hmm. he's a big fan of basketball, yes! specifically the, uh, Celtics. Do you, do you guys go mm -hmm. back and forth? Do you talk a lot of basketball? Hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, we do. I'm, I'm glad I didn't know him 30 years ago when I was obsessed with the Lakers and Showtime era. And you know, I, <laughs> I just didn't want to fight people that were Celtics fans. What? <laughs> yeah, no, we yeah we talk we talk a lot of Boston sports. I mean, there's nothing to say to a Boston sports fan. You know, my son is 19 years old, and since he was born in 2000, all he's done is watch all the teams in Boston succeed wildly. <laughs> Why aren't we Boston fans? I'm like, stars, man. If I'd known, if I'd known, I would have just I would have bought you some Patriots and Celtics gear. My bad. <laughs> Or are you still are you still a fan? Is your team still the Lakers? Hmm. Now I I got a, I don't have an NBA team. I really watch the league and just enjoy it. Um, yeah. I was I grew, I was a Lakers fan my whole life, and then oddly enough, when Shaq signed with the Lakers, that's when I renounced them because I was <laughs> I was so I was so turned off by his. I mean, it sounds insane, but when he was signed with the Lakers at his introductory press conference. He kept invoking Pepsi in all of his answers, which was his <laughs> big sponsor. And I was so <clears throat> offended yeah. at the lack of purity of Laker spirit that I, <laughs> I swore them off at that moment. And uh, a decision I've, I've questioned since, of course. Yeah. But um, no, it's, it's much better. Like, I have a baseball team, which is the Orioles, so yeah. there's no reason to talk about baseball. My football team is a Titan, so we don't need to talk about football. Um, you know, I'm a Predators fan in the NHL, so that's 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 occasionally pretty great. But yeah. Uh, yeah. but for the NBA, it's it's much more enjoyable to just appreciate the league. And you know, I I I I, I just have a I'm kind of like a much younger kid now. I, I have a lot of players. Yeah, and I love that they switch teams. I like seeing different lineups. You know, I'm I'm I love the NBA. Yeah, and it's just I sleep a lot better at night, not living and dying with one team. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm right there with you. I have the exact same look. I, I I started basketball on Michael Jordan. I was a bandwagoner, and I loved the Bulls. And then yes! he retired, and there was no one on the team. And I I got a little reprieve when they came back with Derrick Rose and that group. And I was like, maybe this will this is my team. And then that fell apart. Yep. And so, yeah, I'm just just everybody now. Yes! Well, speaking of yeah. sports, obviously, uh, like you said, your your show has ended, Steve Gorman Sports, but you started a new show, which is going to be airing around the country this week. Uh, Steve Gorman yep. rocks. Uh, do you are you going to talk any sports on the show, or is it completely done with sports? Yeah. No, no, no. I'll still talk sports. I mean, we'll do a. There's a definite, you know, a minute or two every night where I'll just talk about kind of one scene, yeah. usually some one thing that's really jumped out at me. 
But no, we'll, we'll, we'll update. You know, there are big sports stories that happen while we're on the air, and we'll be able to talk about them, you know, in real nice. time. It's, it's still, I mean, the show is essentially, it's classic rock format. There's a, it's a classic rock show, and I'm, I'm handling all the stuff in between the songs. Yeah. And it's all the stuff that interests me. So, uh, so sports will definitely be a part of that. Yeah, you've got five hours a, a night. So it, you've got you've yep. got a lot of time a lot of time to fill. Uh, I saw you were going. Well, so, uh, it's funny too because after doing sports talk for so many years, you know the idea of of taking uh, you know hey we're playing three songs now and I'm like oh my god I get to I get to actually listen to music and sit <laughs> here it's like it's like that's pretty nice you know yeah I, I, I was you know it's it's like it's like getting off of the. Uh, it's getting off the marathon circuit and going to the sprint. It's, it's a nice change. Definitely. Well, I saw one thing. You're going to have a, a tip of the cap to Casey Kasem. Wait, what? Uh, which, is, which, <laughs> yeah. which is pretty awesome because I listen to Casey every Sunday. In fact, I think that's where I first heard the Black Crows, actually. It was probably on Casey Kasem. Uh, can you tell us what that segment's going to be? Or is that still the same? Well, yeah, yeah. We, we're doing a thing every night. He had the long-distance dedication. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if anyone knows the show, they know what that is. And I, I'm like you. I grew up listening to Casey Kasem every Sunday night. And, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, people have been asking me, like, well, were you a radio fan as a kid? And I always was, you know, between... And, I, and, and Casey Kasem and Paul Harvey were the two things that I, you know, one in the morning and then one on Sunday night. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible to, to overstate the significance of those guys back in the 70s and 80s. You yeah. know, that was a, a huge part of my developing brain, if you will, was mm-hmm. those two voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, to answer your question, we're doing, instead of a long distance dedication, we're doing a vendetta dedication, which is... <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and you know, we're going to ask people to you know get, call us, let let us know what's your revenge song for the night. You know, nice. everybody's got, everybody's been jilted, everybody's yeah. been cheated by a ref, everybody's had something go wrong, and so we're offering a vendetta dedication. I like in, it, uh, t- as our way of honoring Casey Kasem. No, I, I like it. A nonviolent protest vendetta. I like it. That's good. Exactly. Yeah. Play play a tune. Don't throw anything at the guy. <laughs> That's good. Well, you can listen to uh, um, Steve's show seven to twelve Monday through Fridays. Uh, I guess except for seven to eight thirty when we're on. They're going to have to take a yeah. break and listen to our show for of that, course, of that course. hour and a half. You got you got to juggle these things. We understand. That's that's the world we live in. <laughs> well, Steve, I want. I want to thank you so much for being on the show, man. We really appreciate it. Hey, man, it is an absolute pleasure. Thanks a lot. Uh, listeners, the new album for Trigger Hippie, Full Circle and Then Some, comes out October 11th. Pre-order it now. The new book, Hard to Handle, comes out September 24th. Pre-order that now. The new radio show, Steve Gorman Rocks, comes out this week. Find it on a station near you. Right now, we are going to hear the first single off the album, Don't Want to Bring You Down, right here on the Doc G Show.
And we are back here on the Doc G show. You just heard Trigger Hippie. That is right. Full circle and then some coming out in October. Make sure you check it out. That was Steve Gorman before that. Busy man. Yes. Busy man. Dude. Like we said, guy doesn't sleep. <laughs> I will say, though, uh, we didn't talk about it on his new show. Uh, I didn't talk about it with Steve, but uh, his new show is going to have um, uh, a co-host of Amber Rose. Word. Um, oh. Who's a very attractive lady, very large social media following. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Steve, what kind of kind of amateur Co co-host is that you get what do you you get a like da- Justin you get a Dave Burles Berlin and you get a <laughs> Justin Virgin Bad Evangelista come on that's right that will bring in the folks jeez Steve come on what does he know I mean I don't Amateur know hour. it's like he's got th- but shout out to him for coming on I know sweet I know helping out the little people like us very nice uh i can't well we're really helping him out you know so true so true um (laughs) i can't wait for his book to come out either there's going to be some crazy details in that book i know those robinson brothers they got nutty in the black crows days there were some they're definitely going to be some crazy stories in there i can't wait to read it uh dave are you ready third birthday Hmm. Dude, I'm warmed up. Let's go, man. Last one. You got this one. I got no worries. Um, okay. Born on September 11, 1978 in St. Rose, Louisiana. Our birthday suit wearer loved sports growing up, played basketball, mm-hmm. baseball, football, and ran track all through high school. He excelled the most in football and ended up going to the University of Miami. He also did track and field while at the University of Miami. He uh, he played safety and was a consensus All-American for two years and won a national championship in 2001. He was drafted 24th overall by the Baltimore Ravens. Ed Reed. Ed Reed is correct. Yes, indeed. Mr. Reed, a Super Bowl champ, nine-time Pro Bowler, eight-time All-Pro, three-time interception leader, 2004 Defensive Player of the Year, and a Hall of Fame player. Yes! Yes, indeed. Ed Reed. Happy birthday, Ed. I like... Love, I, love him. I, Freaking ball hawk, man. I like his hair nowadays, you know? I like him letting it go. Just letting that hair roll out, you know? He's, he's, I, he's yeah. keeping it natural. He's not putting in the just for men and uh, just for men, you know. Nope. He's letting Let it a little salt and pepper. Exactly. Show. He's got a little gray in there. It's a good look, a solid look. Uh, yeah, it's a classy, established. I like you know, it. A hall, man. It's, it's a hall of fame look, is what it is. Hall of fame look. Good call. Hall of fame look. Um, one fun fact about Ed Reed: he's the only player. In the NFL, to ever have scored touchdowns by a block punt, returning a punt, returning an interception, mm-hmm. and returning a fumble. Mm-hmm. He's wow. He's he's scored in all of those fashions. Yes, that is impressive. Yes, like you said, ball hawk for sure. That's right. Um, happy birthday, Ed. Being the big four, four one, four one. Yeah. 4-1, wow. 4-1, you know? No, he's still got a whole lot of life to live. He's pretty young. Pretty young. Yeah. 
Um, all right. This is the point in the show, Dave, where I tell you about the phenomenal shows that we have, and I don't need tell us, sir. I don't need to oversell it because we've got some ridiculous shows. The people that should be getting excited are the people listening right now because my yeah, goodness. Be. We have got comedian Anthony Davis next week, along with the rock group The Black Moods, both, mm-hmm. both on the same show. We've got the rock group oh. Them Evils next the next week. We've got rapper Big Smo, who had his own reality show. I don't know if you remember that back in the day. He had an A&E reality show. He's got a new album coming out. I have to look it up. Very exciting. We've got the rock group... Uh, We've, we've got the rock group Blackstone Cherry. That's going to be at the end of October. We've got country artist Doug Seegers. Yes! Doug Seegers has almost, a, maybe, I don't know. I don't want to compare stories, make one feel less than the other. But he's got almost as interesting story as Travis Meadows. Like, crazy. Oh, looking forward to that then. Crazy. He he was homeless in, in uh, Nashville and like uh, in his 50s. And he had been looking to be a, a musician for like mm-hmm. several decades. And the, wow. this this record producer from Sweden came in, saw him, had him play something, and was like, dude, you got to be famous. And basically, he's skyrocketed to fame since then. It's crazy. It's crazy. That's Amazing. right. Yeah. And then we also have the Shook Twins coming in. I mean, it's a ridiculous lineup. It's a ridiculous Dude, one line. after the another after another. I know, I know, and it's all leading up to you know what I gotta get. I gotta work on some lunkers for the Thanksgiving Day special. I gotta get us something oh. for the Thanksgiving Day special. I got yeah, I man. just gotta make everybody full of thanks for the Thanksgiving Day special. They gotta be they gotta be ready for it, man. It's gotta be good. Um, but until then, guys, build up the excitement. Go check out the website. Go download the podcast and love it. And we'll be back. And give us a rating. Yeah, and we'll be back next week. We will be, I promise. Uh, next week, I'll be here. I've been your host, Doc G. With me, as always, Dave Burles, Berlin. I'll be here, too. He'll be here, too. That's a fact. He's not fronting. <laughs> He'll be here. He's, he'll be here. Justin won't be, be next week. Or be square. But, but the I'm week square, after I'll that, be he'll be there. Both of them will be here two weeks later. Uh, he's got a party. Got a party with his parents first. But until then, zip it up and zip it out. Zippity doo dah.